Welcome to the Valleybrook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. The Book of Psalms is a book of poetry, prayers, and songs that people wrote to God, prayed to God, and even used to lead others in the worship of God. The Psalms give us insight into what a relationship with God looks like and examples of how we can pour out our joys, fears, and our heart's desires to God. Join us weekly as we spend the summer in Psalms. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. Well, again, welcome to Valleybrook. We're glad you're here in the building as well as online. We're in our Summer in the Psalms series, and we want to encourage you to uh, be reading the Psalms this summer. Uh, We've provided some resources on our website where you can actually read along with some of the Psalms that I'll be preaching on this summer, as well as other resources to help you go deeper in your connection with God through His Word. Helen Keller was born in 1880. And for the first year and a half, she was just like any other child. But at the age of 19 months, she became ill with what was at that time called brain fever. Most physicians are uncertain exactly what the nature of the disease might have been back then, but they suspect it was probably scarlet fever or meningitis. Helen's family doctor did not believe that she would survive, but after several days, the fever subsided and Helen fell into a deep sleep. Her family rejoiced at what they thought that she was cured, but as Helen convalesced, they were to discover, they would discover that she was left both blind and deaf as the result of the illness. Now, imagine for a moment, just imagine for a moment, if, if you had been able to see and been able to hear, and then you get sick, and when you wake up, you can no longer see, you can no longer hear. On her own, Helen did begin to develop a way to communicate with her own made-up sign language, but when her mother read about another young woman who was left deaf and blind, getting an education, she began to search for help for Helen, and, and that eventually led her to a woman named Anne Sullivan. Anne Sullivan herself was actually visually impaired, and she had graduated from the Perkins Institute for the Blind, and when Anne was contacted, she was asked to come and tutor Helen, and she came to the home in March of 1887. Helen's seven years old. And that very day, Anne began to instruct Helen, and Helen began to learn how to communicate. If you remember the story, you may remember that that Anne brought water, and she poured it on Helen's hands, and then she spelled out the word with sign language in Helen's hand over and over and over until Helen made the connection that what she was feeling from the water and what the signs were in her hand was the word water. And, and, then, and then Helen began to go around the room to other found objects that, that she recognized as things that she used every day. And she would prompt Anne to use that hand sign language to tell her was it, what it was. And, and, and Helen was a, a voracious learner. And, and as she learned more and more, she grew in what she understood. She was a fast learner. And, and, and eventually, uh, her parents decided to, to send her with Anne to a, a school for the blind. And, and she went there. And, and then she, after she graduated from that, she went to Radcliffe College. And she graduated with Anne's help in four years with a bachelor's degree. 
And if you know anything about Helen Keller, you know that she went on to become an author and a speaker, and she is remembered as being a champion, an advocate for all people with any kind of disability. Now, it's interesting in her life, somewhere along the way, her brother, Philip, told her about God, about the reality of God. And as he did that, Helen replied to him. She said, I've always known there was a God. I just didn't know what his name was. You know, it's, it's an amazing story, and it's amazing to hear a story about someone who can't hear and, and who can't see, and then to realize that despite that, she realized that God was real, that, that somehow God revealed himself to her in, in ways that you and I can't comprehend because we're both seeing and hearing. And despite her inability to see or here, she was able to know that there is a God and a God who is real. Today we're going to look at Psalm 19. And Psalm 19 reveals to us God over and over. And it reminds us that God is revealing himself to humankind every day in ways that we take for granted, sometimes in ways that we don't see or hear. And just think about what Jesus said at times. He says, you have eyes, but you don't see. You have ears, but you do not listen. So today, as we look at Psalm 19, let's use our eyes to see and our ears to listen. The first six verses of Psalm 19 tell us that God is revealed to us in the world around us. Now, last Sunday, if you were here, you were blessed to hear a message on Psalm 8 by one of our leaders, Harrison Daniels. If you missed it, I encourage you to go to our website and hear what he shared with us about Psalm 8, because it's a psalm about the majesty of God revealed in creation. We're going to see how God reveals himself even more in creation in Psalm 19. So let me read those first six verses. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. And nothing is deprived of its warmth. Now the author, the human author of this psalm is King David. But we know that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, inspired him to write this psalm. And in it, David focuses on one part of God's creation. He focuses on the heavens. But, but I want us to remember that all of creation is speaking to us constantly about the reality of God. So I want to encourage you today, go outside. You know, it's a beautiful summer day. Go outside, take a little walk or take a hike and, and pay attention. You know, if it's five minutes, that's enough to see the creation and let it speak to you. You know, look at the ground, the, the plants, the rocks, the earth, the dirt, the little creatures that you might see. Uh, look at the sky above you. Maybe you'll see birds or you'll hear them. 
Look at all the trees and, and the bushes. Look at a stream. Maybe you'll see some fish or something there. Consider the miracle that God has created everything. Remember that he's created our bodies and all the systems that are in our bodies that, that have to function in just the right way to keep us alive. And then think about the things that you and I cannot see or hear with our naked eyes or with our ears that scientists use microscopes to reveal that there are things that we can't see. You know, it, it's amazing. A study in 2001 predicted that there are eight 0.7 million species of animals on this planet, and we've only identified 1.6 million. It's mind-boggling. Biologist Edward Wilson claims that there are as many as 1.6 million species of fungi in the world. He says there are 10,000 species of ants, 300,000 species of flowering plants, between four and 5,000 species of mammals, and approximately 10,000 species of birds. Now that's just the created earth that we are used to seeing. But think about the heavens. NASA estimates that there are over 100 billion stars in our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy. Now, if that's hard to comprehend, they estimate that outside of our galaxy, that there are two trillion more galaxies in the universe. Now, David didn't know any of this, but when he looked at the heavens, he couldn't help but see that they demonstrated the reality of God. The existence of creation implied the existence of a creator. And the nature of the creation implied that this creator was wise enough to plan it and powerful enough to execute this plan and maintain whatever this creator had made. So complex a universe demands a creator who can do anything, who knows everything, and who is present everywhere. One writer writes, creation is a wordless book that everybody can read because it needs no translation. God speaks through creation day after day and night after night. His speech pours out silently, abundantly, universally. Now, interestingly, in the book of Romans, the apostle Paul quotes verse 4 of Psalm 19, which says, the heavens and the skies have a voice that's gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. And in quoting that verse, Paul makes the case that this is part of the explanation that not all of Israel has accepted the good news of the gospel, even though they've heard it through the voice of creation over and over and over. And that can also be said about us today. Pastor Warren Wiersbe writes, God's voice of power is cre in creation prepares the way for his voice of grace in the gospel. Let me say that again. God's voice of power in creation prepares the way for his voice of grace in the gospel. When Paul preached to the Gentiles, interestingly, he started with creation and then he moved on to the gospel message. In fact, Earlier in his letter to the church in Rome, Paul points out to people that 
If they reject the testimony of creation and live as they want, then God's judgment will be upon them. This is what he writes in chapter 1. He says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what he, what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now, as damning as that scripture is, there are stories of hope about people who recognize that. We, we heard Helen Keller, she recognized in the world that there was a God. And then um, musician Michael Card wrote in an interview years ago about his experience of going to China. And he said, you know, as I was in China again and again, I talked to people who had never heard of Christianity. They had never heard of Jesus. They had never heard a single word from the Bible. Yet through nature and their God-given conscience, many believed in God. Not only did they believe God existed, they derived some understanding about his loving character because God provided food and water and a beautiful world for them. One woman told him something very similar to what Helen Keller said to her brother. She said to Michael Card, I have known him for years. I just didn't know his name. God is revealed to us in the world around us. And when we see it, we need to help others see it too. Now, Psalm 19 continues, and it turns and it tells us that God is also revealed to us through his word, through scripture, through the Bible. Let's read verse 7 through 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Now, if you and I were reading Psalm 19 in Hebrew, we would immediately notice something. In the first six verses, was David wrote that, when he used the word for God, he wasn't using the one that's used in the next set of verses. In the first six verses, when he speaks of God, he uses the Hebrew word El. Really, it's, it's a generic word for God. It can also be used for the, the pagan gods, but it, obviously in that case, he was talking about God. But, but in the second set of verses, David uses another word for God that, in fact, is considered to be God's name. God uses a word that's very special. It's so special, it was considered sacred in Jesus' day, and people would never actually pronounce the name of God out loud. It's referred to as his covenantal name, 
the name that he was called by. And we know that name as in a Hebrew pronunciation as Yahweh. And Yahweh revealed himself to Israel and he chose to enter into a covenant with his people. And that covenant was communicated through God's word. And so in this section of scripture, David switches over and every time you see the word God, it's the word in Hebrew, Yahweh. It's, it's reminding the hearer, the reader, that this is the God who has made a covenant with us, that we would be his people and he would be our God. One scholar writes this, the revelation of God's law is clearer than the revelation in, in nature. Nature declares, proclaims, pours forth, and displays the revelation of God's majesty, wisdom, and power. However, the revelation of the law, God's word, is greater. It's greater because it is given by the covenant-making God. Now, you may have noticed that David used a variety of words, synonyms, for God's word in these verses. He calls God's word the law of the Lord, calls them the statutes of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commands of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, and the decrees of the Lord. And, and those words show the completeness of God's revelation to us through his good word to each of us. And each of those synonyms for God's word also come with important meaning. So let's just sort of walk through them. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. So this is the restorative quality of God's word that gives healing to the whole person by assuring us of forgiveness and cleansing and giving life to the godly person. And it unleashes the promises of God by his gracious redemptive acts, reminding it of, this, of that through his word. Next, he says, the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making the wise, making wise the simple. So God's word is the source of wisdom to all who are ready to see it, both the inexperienced or the simple, as you might say, and the wise. And so when we take God's word in, it makes us wise. It gives us understanding beyond our years. And so we need to trust it and follow it. The next synonym he uses is that this, the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. So God's word gives joy. And this is a heartfelt joy that's equivalent to inner peace and tranquility. As one loves God with all his or her heart, that means with our most innermost being. And so when we take God's word in and understand it, that it that it has power for us. It gives us joy. I remember clearly a stage in my own walk with Christ where, where one day I was reading where Jesus gave the great commandment. He said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength. And, and as I meditated on that scripture and thought about it, I said, wow, wait a minute. So if I understand this correctly, if I love God with all that I am, then I'm gonna keep his law. I'm going to keep his word. I'm going to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. That, that I'm going to do what God calls me to do. And in doing that, that, that kind of revelation gave me joy and gave me peace. So, so the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. 
Next, David says, the commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Now, think about that. In Scripture, we're told that God's word is a light unto our path. We need to recognize that, that God's word gives light to our eyes and in figuratively and literal ways, it, it helps us understand what God wants us to do, but it also brings us internal joy that radiates through us because we have discovered that his word is powerful and that it guides us. The next metaphor he uses, and this one's interesting, the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. Now that's an unusual name for, uh, for scriptures, but it reminds us that we cannot learn the word of God unless we show reverence and respect for both God and his word. And that, that's really what, what we mean by fear. We, we tend to think it means to be afraid of, but the fear of the Lord is about having respect and awe for God, to understand that, that he is one who is awesome and mightier than us and greater than us. It's not about being afraid of God. It's about holding him in awe and reverence. And so when we understand that, we understand that his word has that same awe and reverence and that, that it endures forever. The next thing that David says is that the decrees of the Lord are firm and all of them are righteous. Now we have to remember that God is also our righteous judge and some of those words that he gives us, they're decrees or, or they're judgments, things that, that he's telling us that we need to know if we sin or if we do other things, he makes it clear that we need to know these things and that sometimes there are consequences. And what David's telling us here through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is that they're firm. In other words, they're set in place and they cannot be argued away. They cannot be changed. And here's something important. They're not multiple choice. We're told to follow them. God's revelation of himself in his word is clearer because it can be read and understood. While when we look at nature, sometimes when we look at the creation, it's open to our interpretation. And that's why David says those words at the end of this section. He says that God's word is more precious than pure gold. And then he goes on and he says that it is sweeter than honey, sweeter than honey from the honeycomb. What's he saying? He's saying it's sweeter than the freshest honey, not honey that's been put in a jar and saved for some time later, but honey that's come right off of the honeycomb. And as wonderful as pure gold and the sweetest, freshest honey is, God's word is far better because it reveals to us that God is directly and clearly communicating to us about his desire to be in a relationship with us, for us to know him and for him to know us and for us to follow him. Now, regarding the revelation of God to us in his word, I appreciate what one scholar writes about how we should respond to God's word. This is what he writes. The way we treat the Bible is the way we treat the Lord. The way we treat God's word is the way that we treat him. So, let me ask you this. Do you value God's word enough to live by it and to share it with others? 
David goes on in Psalm 19, and he concludes by telling us this, that, that God is revealed to us in our hearts. But let me read these last verses. Beginning in verse 12. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgressions. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Unless we have a personal relationship with the Lord, with God our Father, with Jesus our Redeemer, what we see in creation, what we read in the Bible will not do so much good for us. Consider the ways that we have heard the Christmas story of the Magi over the years. You know, think about their story. These were people who studied the heavens. They studied the stars. And when they looked up at those stars, they saw one that was unique, one that was new, that hadn't been there before. And as they began to study things, they began to realize that this was a sign, a sign to them that a new king was about to come into power. A new king was born. And so they packed up everything. And they decided to go and find this new king. And they followed that star as it moved across the heavens. They saw it in creation. It eventually led them to Jerusalem. And and logically thinking, well, this must be that the king of Israel has had a child, a, a new son. And so they go to see the king. And they must have been shocked when they discovered that the king didn't have a new son. And the king also was shocked as we read the story. And he set his advisors out to study God's word. And as they studied God's word, what they discovered was that Scripture foretold that a king, a new king, a new leader would be born in, of all places, Bethlehem. And so the king said to the Magi, go and find him, and then I will come and see him. And so the Magi went, and uh, when they got there, something happened that they hadn't planned. Something happened in their hearts. You know, they had planned to bring gifts to this king. They had packed them before they left. So they did. They, they brought those gifts to give to the king. And they did give those gifts to the king. But when you go back and read the scripture, you'll see something happened in their hearts because it tells us in scripture that they gave their gifts, laid them before Jesus. Then it says they worshiped him. They worshiped him. So we see in the lives of the Magi how God revealed himself to them through the creation, through God's word, and in their hearts. Because this wasn't just another monarch. This was the king of kings, worthy to be worshiped. David writes about what happened in his life as he came to the realization of his sinfulness. He realized that he he needed to be saved from his own sins. And and as God revealed himself personally to David, David came to understand his desire to be in a right relationship with God. And, And he talks about that in these closing verses. But it's that last verse where we see how he's come to a contrite understanding of what needs to happen in his life. And he says these words. 
He writes, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now, going back to David's time, particularly when we understand that there was worship of God in the tabernacle and then eventually the temple. This was a sacrificial type of worship where people would bring an animal, their best animal, and they would sacrifice. They would take its life as a way to worship God. And, and so in those days, there was a setup that the priest would examine that sacrificial animal when it would come forward. And they would look for an animal that was perfect, as Scripture says, without blemish. They, they didn't want uh, you know, the animal that was sickly, uh, they wanted to make sure that they were giving God their best. And so that sacrifice had to be deemed pleasing to God, to be acceptable. And so we see in these verses from David that he said, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, God. May they be acceptable May they be evidence of how I have a changed heart because I know you and I'm living for you. You know, in David's day, if, if the sacrificial animal was not deemed acceptable, it meant that the worshiper who brought the sacrificial animal was also deemed unacceptable. Now, that sounds harsh, but really what was going on was the person who had come to worship God wasn't giving God their best. Now we know this. We know that God ended the sacrificial system. That we don't have to go to a temple someplace and, and bring an animal, a perfect animal to sacrifice. We know that Jesus became the ultimate, the final sacrifice by shedding his blood to pay for the sins of you and me and everyone in the world. And we are offered that forgiveness if we will just accept what Jesus has done for us. Not by anything we do, but by what he did for us. And when we believe in him and follow him, God reveals himself to us in our hearts that he is real, that he loves us, that he desires for us to come into a relationship with him. And once he has transformed our hearts, then we just know that we want to follow him, that we want to live for him, and we want the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts to be acceptable in his sight. Why? Because when we become his followers, we become his representatives. And what we say and how we live and how we interact reflects on him. And so we want to give him our best. You see, God has revealed himself to us, and we want to be faithful followers of him. So let's just think this through for a moment. Before you knew God in a personal way, you could see the evidence of God in the creation. And once you heard about God, maybe somewhere along the way, someone gave you a Bible, and as you began to read the Bible, you began to say, wow, this is pretty clear evidence of God. And then somewhere along the way, if the Holy Spirit was at work in your life, if you let the Holy Spirit come in and convict you that you need to be in a relationship with God, but your sins are in the way, you decided to ask God for forgiveness. 
And not only were you forgiven because you professed your faith in Jesus Christ, you were given the promise of eternal life and you became a follower of God, of Jesus. And God revealed himself to you in all those ways. The revelation of God is for, uh, before us all the time. We just have to follow him, accept him, ask for his forgiveness. Seek to let the words and the meditations of our lives be acceptable to him. Before I close with a prayer, I want to ask you some questions. Because, you know, it's one thing to hear God's word and just take it in and, and just have more information just sort of dumped in. But really, it's just useless information unless it translates into how we live. So let me ask you some questions. How are you helping people see the reality of God? Are you talking about how you see God in the creation? It's an easy and natural way to communicate. Are you pointing out those discoveries that you've made or those things that you've seen? Are you spending time in God's word and, and letting him speak to you and then sharing that with others, with our children, with our grandchildren, with our friends, with our neighbors, with the rest of our families, with folks we work with? Not in a heavy-handed, over-the-top kind of way, but just as you go through life, share what you're learning. And finally, are you sharing with others how God has revealed himself to you in your life through Jesus. You know, it's important that we tell people about what God has done in our lives and what Jesus means to us because this is important for us to understand. No one can argue with you or discredit your personal experience of God. It's your story. It's how God has become real to you. And it's important that we share it so that other people can know that God is real and they can have their own revelation that God is real and come to faith in him. So I want to challenge you. You know, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are God's plan to share what we've experienced in the creation, in his word, through our relationship with God, through faith in Jesus. We're called to do that. So I want to encourage you to look for ways each and every day where you can do that and follow through on that. So I want to close in prayer and pray for each one of our own boldness, but I also want to do this. Look, some of you are saying, wow, you know, I, I hear this, but I've never told Jesus I believe in him and I want to thank him for what he's done in my life and follow him. If that's you, I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer, to put some phrases in your own words and pray it silently back to God right now. So online and in the house here, please bow your heads. Let me lead you in prayer. God, as we come to this time, I'm going to give people the opportunity to profess their faith in you first. So if that is you, just go ahead and tell God that you believe in Jesus. Tell him that you believe that Jesus died to pay for your sins. Tell him that you repent of your sins today that you want to turn away from them. 
and tell him that because you know Jesus rose from the dead, you want to follow him. And now I'm going to pray for all of us. God, we thank you that your revelation is so clear to us in the creation, in your word, and in what Jesus has shown us through the power of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Lord, you have made yourself real to us and we have seen it and we need to live it and we need to share it. So I pray for each and every one of us that we will have the boldness to be able to tell others what you have done for us and that we will proclaim your love for us because you're worthy of all of that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.